This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Awesome Woodies. Awesome Woodies are the original portable hangboard company made by hand here in Australia. They were making these boards years before anyone else. Maybe you've seen their boards hanging off a cliff or a tree at your local crag. They're everywhere. And do you know why? Because they work. Nothing else is going to get you warmed up for your project like the cliff board will. No more shall you pull onto your project with unrecruited fingers. No more shall you burn precious skin doing extra warm-ups. The Awesome Woody's cliff boards are here for you. They love you and want you to be ready for a full day of awesomeness. Their cliff boards still lead the way with quality, durability and functionality. Plus they weigh almost nothing. Take the cliff board Petite for example, one I personally designed with the team. It weighs 280 grams. Mate, my Vegemite sandwich nearly weighs more than that. The cliff boards are also great if you don't have the ability to have a proper hangboard set up at your home. If you do have space for a fixed hangboard or campus board though, Awesome Woodies have got you covered. The Homeboy hangboard is the boss. The wood edges on this board are super comfortable to spend a lot of time hanging from, even when you've trashed yourself all weekend at the crag. Awesome Woodies can also cover your campus board with all the grips you need. Campus rungs in four different sizes, sloper rails and half balls. Everything is there for you to power up. Now for those of you into a minimal aesthetic or just like boning down, Awesome Woodies have got edgies. Pairs of 6, 8 and 10 mil edges made out of premium Tassie oak, which is sourced from sustainable plantations. So not only do these edges look the goods, they are doing good. In fact, all the Awesome Woodies products are made from sustainably sourced timber. Their commitment to the environment and quality really sets these guys apart from the rest. So head to awesomewoodies.com, chuck in Baffle Days at checkout for 15% off your next piece of game-changing equipment. G'day everyone and welcome to the Baffle Days podcast. My name is Tom O'Halloran. Today we have an absolutely cracking episode with an Australian climbing legend, Dave Jones. He's truly one of the people that I looked up to as I was growing up as a young climber. Um, Saw him in the magazines and in videos and all sorts of things. So pretty radical to sit down and and dig into his climbing life. Um, Just a, a brief bit. It's kind of tricky always in these, it's a, I guess a long form conversation, but how do you sum up someone's entire life in a one hour chat? Um, but yeah, it was pretty awesome to dig into a bit of his climbing life um, in Australia, really. Before we get into it, so Dave is a Victorian climber um, and grew up climbing in Arapiles and the Grampians um, in the Garawad and Wimmera regions. Um, obviously, probably a lot of you are quite aware of the situation down there with um, the what's going on with Parks Victoria, the traditional owners and climbers. Uh, it's a pretty tricky situation at the moment. Um, so, I just wanted to kind of throw this in here at the moment. Um, it's it's hard. It's hard to put into words what the situation is down there. Um, 
but there are a lot of really fantastic organizations that have popped up um, and that are doing really great work, I think, both from the climbing side of things and from the traditional owners side. So from the climbing side of things, um, we have the Gerawad Wimmera Reconciliation Network. Um, their website is gwrn.org.au. Um, and I'll just read to you here just a piece off their website, um, just to give you an understanding of where they're coming from. The Gerawad Wimmera Reconciliation Network, GWRN, was started by members of the Victorian climbing community who live and climb in Gerawad and the Wimmera. We grappled with the idea that climbing, something that we love and value in our lives, and climbers' actions have been hurtful towards traditional owners. We recognised that a reconciliation approach and relationship was missing between the climbing community and the traditional owners, as is often the case in Australia more broadly. Our vision is that the Gerawad and Wimmera cultural landscapes, communities and visitors are strengthened by respectful and enduring relationships between traditional owners and non-Indigenous people. We acknowledge our true history, celebrate culture, country and acknowledge and support traditional owners' self-determination so we can proudly share a future together. I think we can all get behind that message um, that the GWRN are putting together there. I think that a strong relationship between traditional owners and climbers needs to be built um, and I think this is a really fantastic start. So you can go to the GWRN website and um, check more information out there. There's some really great links through to, I'll just click on it now, um, through to the um, couple of websites for the traditional owners in the area, uh, bglc.com.au, easternmar.com.au, and a word that I cannot pronounce, um, which I guess is part of this whole reconciliation process, is um, learning to be able to pronounce some of the trickier names. It's funny the things that we get used to being able to do with our tongues and the words that we can and cannot say. Uh, Gundachirmring.com. I've completely butchered that, but that is a part of me learning. Uh, so it is really important at the moment with everything that is going on down in Victoria with the climbing bands. Please stay well and truly up to date with what is going on there. Chat with locals uh, and work out what the current on-the-ground situation is. Uh, from what I understand, there are lots of signage and barriers around the place to make it fairly clear, but just make sure you can go to the Victorian Climbing Club website as well and Facebook page and all that kind of thing, and they will let you know uh, some up-to-date information. That's vicclimb.org.au. Yeah, I think that's about it. Be a good person. That's the crux of all of this. Just be a nice person and, um, yep, everything's going to be okay. So, back on to Dave Jones and talking about awesome climbing. We crack into his early teenage years and hitchhiking out to go climbing. We also dig into what was kind of the climbing style at the time of um, doing really quite scary and bold things nowadays. That idea of a ground up approach and and really kind of pushing the boat out there I guess um, in, in a totally safe way but in a way that and a skill I guess that has been lost these days I think we've all become a little bit soft on reflection you look back at some of the climbing that people were doing back then and it's like Poof, that's bold but for them that was just what happened and that's pretty cool 
I asked Dave about the type of climbing that inspires him. Um, and it was pretty interesting just having a chat about that kind of thing. And it kind of ended up relating into the art and sculpture projects that he currently loves doing and, and he does uh, for a living. Um, and I'd recommend checking out some of the crazy stuff that he's come up with there. And climbing on Taipan Wall is also a topic we crack into here. Um, and Dave was very much kind of there at the forefront of the first ascents that were going up then. And that's just like, it is just one of those walls that of all the places far out, it is amazing. So it was pretty cool to hear some of those stories. And we also dig into a bit of the early days of Grampians bouldering. And, you know, it was just something that him and the couple of fellas were doing. Um, and now it's become one of the greatest places in the world. And that's kind of cool when he didn't really realize at the time what it truly was. Anyway, that's enough of me waffling here. Let's crack on into the episode. I hope you all enjoy it. I really enjoyed chatting with him. We had this chat in about August 2020. Uh, just for reference, there's a few sort of bits and pieces there that are slightly out of context now. But yeah, no, the stories are still awesome. Anyway, enough of me. Let's crack into the chat. Um, so I grew up in Melbourne and, you know, a little bit of stuff on some dinky little crags around Melbourne, the, yeah. the Werribee Gorges, the Ben Cairns, places like that. But, but fairly quickly, you know, I did a few trips out to um, Arakles, uh, probably with scouts and things like that yeah. uh, originally. And then a, a friend at school had uh, acquired a, a rack, I think, and then I managed to borrow a rope from someone we used to come out you know, Toraclis or, you know, Grampians and yeah, bumble up when, some stuff. When you're going out with your friends, is that like you guys hitchhiking out or you got parents taking you? Or? Um, no, I think that, yeah, the, we were hitchhiking or you could get a train. Yeah. As far as Horsham, I guess, and then hitchhike from there or stall and hitchhike out to Horsham yeah. or, or out to Araclis. Um, yeah. that so that's like a... Of, it's like a probably three hour train ride and then sort of what 45 K's from Horsham to out to the Araps and yeah, slightly less than that, but yeah, yeah. Too far yeah. To walk with a bag full of stuff. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny anyway, hey, that that psych that you have as a kid. Cause I remember doing similar trips from, from home up to Mount Coulomb to go climbing. And for me, it was like three trips, two trains and three buses and six and a half hours to get to the cliff and yeah. you just you're frothing and it's just like it seems like a mission now and i'd be like oh no way would i do that but you just at that time you you're pretty psyched to just go climbing hey mm, yeah i remember hitching as well from melbourne or just getting a getting a suburban train to the far side of melbourne and just hitchhiking out <laughs> from there and it would be the whole day you spend a day just doing that and getting yeah. stuck in the rain or standing under bridges trying to get a ride. And <laughs> I mean, I guess for those, it would have been school holidays or something like that. So at least I knew once I got myself there, I was going to have, um, you know, a block and, and Rackloose was amazing for that when you didn't have a car, like once you were there, yeah, you could just get yourself. You didn't even have to sort of go with a friend or something. Once you're there, you could just camp there, meet people, you know, walk to several thousand different climbs. Um, yeah. You know, I just remember a few things like climbing with this uh, 
Japanese climber, Moto, he, he just basically learned his English once he'd arrived in Australia. Like he knew a few words. Like Yeah, wow. <laughs> and we're just, just having this, yeah, this thing going out climbing. We're both, I don't know, trying to climb like 21s and 2s and things like that. And we barely could speak to each other. But we're sort of living <laughs> together, cooking food together. And yeah, it was just kind of learning English while while he was there. So what a trip out. And he'd, he'd, he'd go, he'd be all right. You'd be going, he'd have a few weeks, but once he got stressed, he, he just completely lapsed back into Japanese. He was suddenly very, very <laughs> talking. Yeah. <laughs> Holding the rope, you know, is that a take or a watch me or a slack? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you like kind of 15 at that point? Yeah, I guess 15, 16, probably by the time yeah. I was hitchhiking all the way out here, I think, yeah. Probably start yeah, it started in school about fifteen, I guess, with a few whatever it is, outdoor education. And then there's a local yeah. scout group that I was about, and they had a, a rack and a rope, so which was great that you could if you were a scout you could borrow that. Yeah, that's and, handy. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that was that was kind of good. And there were a couple of other people. There were I think we did a few trips with them, but ultimately ended up sort of borrowing the gear and there was a couple of friends from school that that we would climb with. And then yeah. there were others you know, kids at different schools um, from around Melbourne here and there. And you just, I guess you'd sort of know that at Easter time or Christmas time, people like that would be out here and, yeah. and just sort of make your way here and then have the, have a sort of summer holidays out at the mountain. Yeah. Just finding people climb with. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, a sense that there'd be a few people you knew who might be there or people that you might've seen the previous summer or, you know, that you'd meet up with. There was a, you know, I just remember a flock of Queenslanders would always sort of come down and get out of the Queensland summer heat. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's way more sweaty, the Queensland summer heat, than the dry mm. summer. Yeah. Slightly yeah. more topical, perhaps. Yeah. I think you can at least go and find a cool gully here, um, yeah. you know, in summer and, and get by, but I don't think that's a, everything's 35 degrees and humid in in summer in Queensland. Yeah, I remember being at Frog once and trying to climb something and it was just like, you're trying to jam in like these soapy, rocky cracks and it was just horrendous. And you're like, I'm never making that mistake again. It's interesting, like, was there must have been a bit of a, um, bit of a scene back then in the Pines. Was that, that would have been about the 80s? Um, it would be end of the eighties. Yeah. I, I mean, there, there was a scene there before I got there, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, I, um, yeah, so it was probably, yeah, late, late eighties by the time I would have been spending much time there and then early nineties a lot. Yeah. It, uh, and it was great. Like the people would come, it was much more of a focus than the Grampians. Then like people would sort of come to Arapiles, come to Australia, come to Arapiles yeah. and then do trips across to Minari or you know, to go across to the, but it was the real sort of epicenter of, well, certainly Victoria. Um, yeah. And it was, that's probably pre Nara. And there was a bit of a point, I think the climbing in the blue mountains, but eased off a bit. It's had a, a real resurgence again. Yeah lately but i don't know around then it was yeah i don't know people you would come you know from europe or wherever get just go directly to rapleys and meet up with people and then do road trips and stuff from there so it was a real sort of you know meeting place as well as being a crag where you could climb 
Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like, um, did, did it feel like it was that epicenter at that point? Cause it's easy to look back with nostalgia and kind of see those, you know, pockets of years as being like, Whoa, that was the time. But perhaps when you're in it, it doesn't feel like it so much. Oh, I don't know if I, I would have used the word epicenter at the time, but it was just <laughs> exciting. Like it was pretty great. Like, you know, yeah. every, every summer, every Easter or whenever I could get out there. I mean, it was such a mission to get, here at that point that it would need to be hard to do just for a weekend or something like that. But you'd come out and I'd sort of, you know, come and gradually get a tent and get a whole lot of stuff and just get it out here in spring. Yeah. And then, you know, bum a ride backwards and forwards and, and then be there for the block of the summer holidays. But yeah, no, it was pretty exciting. And at that point, lots of people were coming, you know, from overseas, from the States, from Europe, from, you know, Japan, um, and so there was always exciting people to meet. And then when I was going off kind of traveling around the world, climbing a lot of those connections or people that I'd met climbed with at Arapiles, um, you know, that was a starting point for when I was, you know, heading off around the world. So yeah, it was, it was pretty exciting scene. Yeah. That, you know, and the climbing was almost just the bonus. at the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The climbing was the bonus to the campfire conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Out. Yeah. Absolutely. It, yeah, the, the, there's such a crazy kind of um, push at that point, like the, just everyone kind of going off and finding new first ascents and new faces to, to climb on and all that. Were you, yeah. at the beginning, were you looking at kind of finding your own bit or were you just kind of um, watching what other people are doing? And I think I was pretty focused. I, I guess you... I don't know. There were routes I wanted to do. Like I, I think I was sort of working my way up through the, the, I guess the system at Arapolis, you know, yep. the, the classic, you know, from the Kachungs and yeah, ride like the winds or whatever. And the India slinking punks, yep. all of that, all the way, you know, and all of that, I didn't have a car, I didn't have a license. Um, so yeah, I was probably pretty focused on that. And then I start to do trips. And so, um, you know, going out to the Grand Pins for there. But I, I pretty much worked my way through all of that, did the odd new route or Freedom yeah. 8 line or something like that. But it probably wasn't until I'd kind of thoroughly, you know, worked my way up that I was like, oh, well, that hasn't been done or that or, yeah. you know, this aid line, maybe someone should have a look at that. or yeah. and, and there's a lot of old, just even around in various spots of the Grand Pins, old um, projects that, you know, Jeff Wiegand might have, bolted or you know that were just sort of sitting there so that was kind of a and and i really like that or old aid lines where it's already got a history of, of climbers having tried it even if it, it was an aid route but if people have tried to free it or there's a line that someone's tried and not yeah yeah and that kind of gave it a bit more meaning or history or something that you know that it's, it's been there for a while it might already have a name you know yeah. there's, there's a thing and that that was really appealing to me yeah as much as kind of going and finding a completely unclimbed cliff and yeah well, it's although, funny, yeah funny because um lee cossie went and did that old um line of yours at the grand mm. i can't remember what it was called agent of cool agent of cool yeah yeah, yeah so it's kind of cool that you know you're drawn to those things yeah initially and then kind of get to lay the seed for for the next generation well, yeah of i think come so through. yeah and and you know Ben went and um, did, or Malcolm, um, Gilgamesh. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which, you know, Malcolm had spent. So that was, and I was like, I went and had a, you know, a bit of a play on that at one point. Yeah. Malcolm was still sort of trying to do that then. But yeah, there's these things that have had, you know, almost generations of climbers throwing themselves at them. Yeah. And then, yeah, I certainly the beneficiary, you know, a lot of crags, there were still sort of major lines that have been obviously looked at. And it's yep. just like, oh, and, and to me that, yeah, it, it gave it an extra, the fact that it's already had this, this history um, attached to it made it more appealing in some ways. Although it's also it's pro- good to just go and see a feature of rock. I was like, I wonder if there's a line up there, you know, is it possible? Like yeah. that, that question, you know, can it even be done, you know, yep. or can it be done by me? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. What are you drawn to at that point when you're looking for those things? I think, you know, major natural features rather than a flat wall that may or may not have holes, but just sort of a big erect, you know, or something like yeah. that, or a corner system or something that you can just go, yeah, that's a line. It's, or a water groove. Yeah. Um, you know, where there's, there's just some sort of natural, fa- and not, not sort of, I think the best case scenario is not so much like hold to hold to hold, but there's just this big feature and you just don't quite know like whether your hands here, you're just kind of grappling with this large scale feature that needs your whole body to kind of stay onto it somehow. So it's, it's much more three dimensional and involved where a real puzzle. I think like I've always been drawn to that side of it, where it's a bit of a, not just a case of being stronger, but there's a real sort of mental problem solving kind of thing yeah you have to work out what to do and remember all that and then kind of execute it precisely you know all yeah. in a row at some point down the track but that i was much more drawn to that where it's it's not immediately obvious i mean there's some things where you know it's like oh yeah you've just got to be able to hold that crimp and pull through to there and and that's exactly what you you know that's it you've just got to be strong enough to do it yeah uh, and i do like as i've never been very good at that so i've sort of slightly drawn to that just because it's always been a weakness but I think my favourite thing is the thing where you look at it first and you just can't even imagine what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah. And you try this and you're that and eventually you work the first bit out but not the second. Or then you've got both halves but you can't get it together and you just kind of puzzle your way through it. Um, so it's, you know, it's a mental sort of problem-solving thing as much as a physical one. Yeah, they're, they're so fun, those sorts of experiences. I think that's what I love about those first ascent kind of moments where it's just this like you've got to draw upon every single piece of skill that you've ever accumulated in your life and then try and put it into to discovering what how it is that you're meant to crawl your way up this thing yeah yeah and it is quite different i just if it's a repeat um not that it's a lesser excuse but just even knowing that it's been done straight away you're kind of you're in a different there is a solution and I, I was, I was, you know, blown away some of the routes that were put up, um, you know, at Arapleys where they've just gone ground up, you know, up things like Chiringa, which is, yeah, that sort of thing just doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, I think it'll go and maybe there's enough gear, you know, that doesn't, there might still be enough gear to survive falling off and to just kind of, you know, it's, such a, it's such a bold approach. Yeah. That just like, yeah, it feels like that's kind of been lost a little bit now. Mm, yeah, I mean, and that I think the height of that was probably slightly before my time. Like the, you know, the twenty fours and fives that were put up in kind of incredible style at Arapleys. It just ground up. Yeah, you know, you know, and and it might have gone. I mean, it could have been two grades harder, and they wouldn't have been able to do it. And there's not enough gear that that would have been a survivable experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
yeah. You know, Did you get amazing. yourself into any of those predicaments at any point? Um, oh, there's a few here and there, you know, things, things that we've done where you're just like, right, we're going to go and um, we think this will go. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, yeah. With Shai Halud. Yeah, something like, like that. that. That's something that. like that, where it's like this concept. And I remember thinking, oh, that, that sand is so, you know, probably it is climbable. Like the rock underneath is probably all right. And, you know. Yeah. I'll just explain, good. explain to people. That's that, like, if you look at a big photo of Taipan wall, it's that vertical sand pit uh, <laughs> off to the right above kind of spurt there. Yeah. It's just the most disastrous looking piece of it's, like it's vertical stuff. Rock, fairly firm rock and then just stuck onto it. There are these mushrooms of, of chicken heads and things yeah. which are loosely attached to the rock and they're the only gear as well. Like you're sort of slinging those things. So if you did come off, there's every chance that, you know, they would all just <laughs> pull. But yeah, I, I remember doing other thing at Mount Difficult as well um, with Rob Oliver. We just went, oh, there's a lot, you know, this, it's the big, it's the, the Kachung times five, like this massive roof flake. It's like, I've just got to get out to there and doing the same thing, just, just putting slings on chicken heads and going out. And then this, you know, big flake just, which again, you know, being a flake that's about, you know, two foot wide, had no gear that we owned. So <laughs> you just, and you could get in it. It was wider than Kachung. So you could just kind of shimmy along it in your belly. And then, you know, it tighten up so you'd actually get out and sort of heel hook your way along. And yeah, just kind of, I don't know if that's even had a repeat or, you know. Probably not. <laughs> it sounds horrendous. Anyone, yeah. <laughs> but it was that sort of thing. It's like, oh, there's an obvious line. It's just this massive roof flake just diagonaling through a roof. It's like, yep, that looks like the sort of thing we could climb. Like it's definitely got holes yeah. all the way. It leads to, and you just, yeah, at that point just, and it's probably, yeah, within our ability, you know, yeah. we can make yeah, our way that's up. That's cool. That, that's a cool, cool thing and inspiring thing and something that I'm not sure. It, it seemed like that was something that people kind of just, have or they don't have is just that like ability to back yourself and, and go into it. Yeah. I don't know if that's a trained or it's an exposure kind of thing. It definitely seemed to be something a lot of climbers did more, you know, were happy of whatever their level or they were pretty comfortable on, on ground that was a grade or two below that. So that you mm. could be happy to be run out or, you know, um, or be able to up and down climb. It did, did seem like it's a different, a different skill set or a different mentality, different mindset. Yeah. The current situation where it's, it's all got to be safe. Um, yeah. yeah. And I look, don't get me wrong. I'm, I enjoy clipping bolts as much as the next <laughs> person. And, but you know, there's a lot of route that we've done like that. Where and a lot of the climbers who were quite good did solo. were quite comfortable soloing just a couple of grades below yeah. And I think it was all part, they're probably training that, that aspect of climbing to be really solid on, on ground that was just a bit below their limit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe it's as much a case of what you expose yourself to, what you train. They probably weren't hanging off a fingerboard as much as people <laughs> these days, but yeah. they're putting their brains through their paces. Yeah. And maybe it's a symptom too of not having as good a communication systems. We've all got mobile phones, so you can just show up you know, call your friend and go, come on, let's go to the cliff. Yep. You're going to be there. I've got a belay. Whereas, yeah, you know, yeah. you're saying you're just showing up and if there's no one there and you're frothing to climb, then Ooh. maybe yeah. I'll just go for a solo. I 
did heaps of that, you know, at Arapalis, just, yeah, just up and down, or even at the end of the day or the start of a day or on a rest day, I think most of my rack when I started climbing just was gleaned off the organ pipes. I'd just go and do a quick <laughs> pass through on Sunday evening or Monday morning and, you know, there'd be all these stuck wires and yeah. stuff like that. You know, and, and but I mean, it was kind of fun to go and do, but you just, you know, at the end of it, you'd have three or four new wires in your set. And Perfect. <laughs> yeah. And you're doing a good thing for not leaving crap on the wall. Mm, yeah. And quite often, you know, or these known spots, like I think below the, the lip of Kachung, everyone gets out there and goes, right, you know, panic, I'm going to put something in before. And then they completely panic and drop half of their bits or fall <laughs> off or do it or not. But, you know, there's this sort of spot down on the, ground somewhere off to the side for the kachung where there would just invariably be bits <laughs> yeah a couple and of yeah, hangers yeah, better better for that stuff to be in someone's rack than just litter I guess. yeah yeah absolutely yeah so what kind of are you talking before about like loving that whole experience of the kind of physical and mental problem solving side of things what kind of roots you know come to mind when you're you're kind of miming out moves a little bit there. Oh. Is there, there anything that kind of comes to mind is like. Actual, actual roots. Because um... that some of that stuff like on, um, yeah, you're talking about that Arapoli stuff is a little bit kind of thought provoking. And especially when you get on getting on Taipan and, and moving around some of those water runnels, like they're not, the sequences aren't as obvious. It's all quite unusual. I mean, that's a fairly unusual sort of thing where you, you're sometimes you're just about to fall off. It's a no, it's, it's almost a no hands rest. You're almost off, but yeah. it's also almost restful. So if you're kind <laughs> of happy to spend time in there, you can actually recover, even though you might be just about to skate off. If you yeah. just, and just that, that sense of, of finding those spots or, um, or click, hey, well, something like one bed to the left or something. It's just a big, Aretti blobby feature and there's not yep. really you know there's a section where there's not like a hold that you're pulling off or two it's just about where your feet are relative to your hands or um yeah i think of something just in the side of the water runnels where every you know it would be an enormous hold if you just had one foothold or something that could push the other way but there's nothing you're sort of lay backing off a flake and all your feet are on edges you know pushing you exactly the wrong way so it's just a case of sort of oozing your body yeah do that stuff um and it's kind of staying staying calm on that mm. kind of terrain as well that is is such a trick like you kind of feel uncomfortable but if you let yourself kind of if you can control your mind you actually realize how good the position is in a way yeah, where you're just in there. It's exactly that thing of just going, this is really hard, I could fall off. But rather than focusing on that and, you know, crimping extra hard, just go, actually, I'm not doing anything with my crimping. I'll just, just stand here on my feet and breathe and, you know, be comfortable in, in, a, in an insecure spot. Yeah. And the same, I guess, if something's run out, that rather than sort of panicking and being, you know, gripped and trying extra hard you just go well it's all right if i don't fall off that's fine it's not a problem and i'm yeah. less likely to fall off if i don't panic and just being in that you know in that space go yep it wouldn't be ideal to fall off right now um but that doesn't mean i'm going to and that i'm not doing myself any <laughs> favors by getting all in a flap about it that just just focus and yeah there was some stuff soloing that you know I, I'd, I'd led before or not and but there's a real calmness to us like it 
I didn't go and solo stuff to scare myself. Yeah, it yeah. just felt really good. And sometimes it's just like this complete focus. Like you're just not going to be distracted by anything else. You're just sort of a, and and climbing things. It just felt much easier when you were soloing. That were just I don't know, just because it was yeah, just because you're fully in that space at the time, I suppose. Yeah. What kind of headspace do you need to get yourself in to, to do something that's more of an engaging solo than just kind of running up tiptoe ridge or something? Um, I think if you're doing a fair bit of it, I think you need to be, you know, it's not the sort of thing you could just go and play some CD of yeah. <laughs> music to get all hyped for and then go and do something like that. I think you just, you need to spend a bit of time and I, you know, just enjoyed being in that mental space so for me if there were runouts on a route like that side of it was and that was part of the mental sort of problem solving thing so i think it's about exposure i mean i wouldn't you know recommend that everyone should go and do that no but certainly not no. i think when you're when you're doing more of it and, and and just doing it at a lower level where you are comfortable i don't know there's something was was incredibly appealing to me about those or, 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 you know, on the gritstone, the, the head point in the, the, those sort of lines where there was a definite aspect to you had to concentrate and you were going to be in a spot that was um, risky and you just had to focus. And there's, yeah, there's, I know there's quite a few routes at Arapiles that were like that. Um, I don't know. I think it's probably just like any other aspect of, of climbing that you, you skill yourself up, you do it at a lower level and you, you build yeah your tolerance and your ability to function in that but it was always something that was pretty appealing to me and is is it a sense of kind of like calm mellow sort of zen like headspace for you when when you're kind of ready to approach one of those sorts of climbs yeah yeah generally it wasn't about fear or conquering fear it was it was a commitment that you 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 know decide you were going to do something or other or, or at an easier level you just were, were going and soloing things and finding mm. um but yeah it was kind of a calming a calming activity you know i did i mean there is a t you challenge yourself to do things but you're not doing it to terrify yourself i don't think yeah no definitely <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's fun being alive and and fit <laughs> feeling things yes. yeah 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 so like the type and type and wall you've had quite a lot of um done done quite a lot of climbing on there and have got some some pretty plum lines that you've either like you know gone back and and done the free version of it like something like diatalus um or then you know your own first ascent of um of tourniquet and some of those kind of harder routes, what was it like developing routes on Taipan? Like it's just the most gobsmacking looking wall ever. And I think yeah, everyone can kind of remember that first time walking over flat rock and, and just seeing mm. that there. Yeah, it does. I mean, it has got amazing natural lines like the water grooves and the, you know, the arets that are like, half edge of a water group or something like that. That's exactly the same. And again, where it's a big long feature and it's yeah. not about going from this hole to that hole. There's this big 
thing that you've got to somehow work with, but you can see it from the car park, you know, you can just it's look like you get up there as a tiny little crook, like you can see these features or, or Naja, which um, Steve Monks originally yep. bolted and um, I ended up doing, I think it's had a few ascents now, but you know, where that's, you can almost see it from the moon, you know, it's yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's always been a really appealing thing where you just, yeah, just a large scale feature. And yeah, so there was a mix of things that had been, yeah, done but not freed or speculative bolting or, or just completely blank lines like a feather bow or something. I kind of kept, there was a, a feature next to it and I kept wrapping, I just kept sort of looking across, just thinking, oh, there's more holds over there all the way yeah. <laughs> down. And then eventually I just sort of shifted my rope. So I'll, I'll, I'll do that one instead. And um, yeah, just finding ways to, and, and, it can be very, very smooth type and like it's not like it's all sort of featured. Sometimes it's very, so whether it's big dinos or just uh, mantle shelves or, you know, unusual solutions to, to just get through sections or, or, you know, some of the routes wander where you're just finding a path up, you know, it's a 40 meter section of rock. So you can go this way a little bit. So a bit of wandering. Yeah. Finding, yeah. finding your way. Um, I was pretty lucky time for me just in that you know a few routes had been done but really not a lot you know sort of Malcolm had done Serpentine and there was Mr Joshua but and and then people sort of decided it was climbed out for some reason and and yeah wow stopped and then there was just this sudden moment where it's like oh actually I think there's you know it's there's more yeah and, uh, and, and it turns out there was it's something like Cardigan Street that Stuart did. I, I remember Gordy had said, oh, no, Malcolm wrapped it, doesn't go. So, so I didn't even look at it. Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> Stuart hadn't got the memo, so he went and did it. It was like, ah, oh, right. <laughs> Damn. Actually enough, that awesome line up the middle of the wall. Yeah. Is- yeah, it, it's so incredible just, like, seeing that wall and, and just those lines that that stick out and there's the features that you just you just want to be there. It's like, I mm. want to be on that section of rock. Yeah. You know, like the, those water runnels are so iconic for Taipan mm. and, and just the way that you climb on them and being up on um, the top pitch of world party is just one of the most memorable climbing experiences of my life. Like it's 24 or something up there and you're just at the top of this water runnel on the, that scalloped out section of Taipan above um, Invisible Fist. And that's, yeah. Just... And you go through that sort of roof flake as well. You just think oh. this, this can't be going anywhere good. Like it's kind yeah. of like, <laughs> you're like, this isn't going to end well. And you're like, I'm in the middle of nowhere and you just get to a big dive on the lip and pop your head around. And then you can just see like this highway, this water group just going up the walls. Like, all right, that's what and, I'm going to do. And you're like 45 meters up there and you look to your left and it's just, this insanely just it's like a, a huge wave of water or something like just this sheer flatness mm. and it, it's just incredible yeah is yeah. there a rush on when when people kind of started to discover that Taipan wasn't climbed out was there a rush on to pick <laughs> the line? A, there was a bit like you know Gordy and myself Julian um Stuart a lot of people were 
I don't know, doing other things. Or I, I suppose down south we're starting to be developed as well. People were discovering the caves and things down there. So it was it was a bit dispersed and there wasn't a massive, massive scene. But yeah, for a while it was strange where it was a shift from people would go and do Mr. Joshua and go and do Serpentine to suddenly go, oh, we could go, we could be doing our own. Yeah new route so malcolm malcolm was do, had you know obviously done serpentine but he kept doing like um anaconda and yep. yeah a few things so it was he was still doing stuff but it was i mean to be, when we did the route on shy halud like with dave Musgrave, we honestly thought this is how the floodgates are going to open as soon as these people realize it can be climbed it's just going to be you know people doing this all over was that did you do that after all the other routes on Taipan had pretty much been done. Was that like a last ditch um, effort to do some more or like what possessed you to? No, I think I was actually trying to do academia at the time. I hadn't done that. Yeah. That's the 31 so that wall. Yeah. And so I was just, you know, red pointing the shit out of that. And it was just <laughs> like, Oh, it'd be nice to kind of do some adventure. Like I think I just sort of focused a bit on training and red pointing and stuff. It's like, Oh, it'd be good to just go and quest up some big thing so i think i you know had my half a dozen red point shots on that yeah we kept on talking about it so it was a group of people who were climbing you know repeating a lot of the routes and this english guy with dave musgrave we kept talking and he's like oh if that was in the uk people would be all over it mick fowler <laughs> would be doing new routes on that every weekend and so it was sort of there at the concept level and you know like i hadn't hadn't got up academia it's like oh we should go. And then we thought, oh, maybe we should just go and do car and scope it. And then we decided that we we're only doing that just to avoid actually doing it. So like, <laughs> the real deal. Just go and do it. So yeah, you do a pitch up spurt wall and then I led the next pitch up through the thing. And I just remember there's all, yeah, like I said, it's a good solid bedrock. And then it's got these things that are loosely attached, which is the handholds and the gear and <laughs> we're climbing along. It was like a big, you know, those sort of fungi that grow on trees, like these plates of stuff yeah. just crawling along and it was overhanging. And so it was roof above me. So I couldn't stand on it. So I was just kind of crawling along and put down my knee and the whole left half of the ledge just like fell away. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. And uh, yeah, lucky I hadn't put a sling around that bit or anything. And, and then, yeah. Um, and it was so do you think at that point so you'd be resting sort of crouched at a rest and then actually quite steep on big big plates through a steepness but there was a real you know you'd reach up and you'd pull off three or four things and then one wouldn't pull off and you're okay next move and (laughs) And I remember watching Mac he's I think to my knowledge the only person who's repeated that I think Mac is the only one yeah just watching him on the, I was much more scared actually watching him because there was a point there and he was just like grabbing a heart, just, just clawing his way up this thing. And I was just like, Oh man. <laughs> yeah. I just remember reaching up, you know, testing half a dozen things, pulling off a lot of stuff and like picking my way. I mean, maybe I'd pulled off a bunch of loose stuff. And it maybe he's just got full faith in you doing the, the kind of right thing in developing a new route and just cleaning it all up and making it yeah, nice for the yeah. next party, next party yeah. coming through. Or maybe he just realised that being, yes, 20 kilos heavier, if anything, was still on the wall that I hadn't pulled <laughs> off, it was probably fine. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, if it was yeah. good enough for Dave to hang on, I'm good enough for me. That's right. Yeah. But it's amazing, like you go through that and then there was just this perfect frame break, like it was absolute chosel and the rock suddenly came good. 
and there's just this perfect frame breaker. Like, boop, 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 boop. You know, okay, that's the belay. Yeah. And then the whole next pitch had no gear as well, like Dave Musgrave led that. And yeah, basically would have been factor two onto the onto the belay for the you know the whole but you probably wouldn't have decked at that point. And it was genuinely good gear, like it was just a band of solid rock in the middle of it all. Yeah. Yeah, but that was good, like that sort of thing, just just of sort of questing up to see if something goes or not. <laughs> and like an that. insane curiosity. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, it was good good antidote to red pointing stuff on Spurt Wall. Yeah. Which what, I think Spurt Wall was just invented as a way to coax more people to go out to a Taipan and belay, I think. <laughs> it's the user friendly routes. Yes, yeah. In I the way that they're user friendly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're such insecure climbing and such strange form of climbing on spurt wall. Yeah, yeah, Some it's of those quite things. different in style to to Taipan. The rock. Just yeah. What was your um? What's your training and red point approach? Because you did a lot of hard routes. Um. What, yeah, there was yeah, there's a point, and I was working in Melbourne. I guess I was doing ads or animation stuff. So. I'd kind of go to Melbourne, get a contract for three months or something like that. And rather than back, I'd just be in Melbourne and train my ass off down there and then yep. build, cast up and then go climbing. So I didn't really train and climb at the same time in the way that you do now. But I guess I had these these blocks where I'd be, you know, working and really focused on getting yeah. you know, the only reason I was working was to get money to go climbing. Yeah. So I'd be really focused. I generally, there'd be, um, there were just oodles of projects to do out yeah. here. So I was pretty, I generally would have in my mind one or two or three things I really wanted to do that. And so that would sort of focus what I was doing. If I wanted to get better on under clingy sorts of things, or I wanted yep. to do campusing or fingerboarding yep. wasn't really much of a thing that I, yeah probably could have benefited from some more of that as a child but um yeah so what sort what, of what sort of things are you doing like it's what the the mid 90s kind of thing yeah mid like what's the the general kind of training psych at at that point like what are people doing uh in older climbing gyms have sort of become a thing like for a while I suppose when I started training, there weren't climbing gyms. Um, and then a few people had built woodies and stuff. I think there was quite a lot of it was inspired by the, the Sheffield yeah. scene and the training in the cellars and stuff. So there was, you know, wooden, small wooden walls and, and campus boarding was, you know, a thing. Yeah. It was an exciting. So that they were, yeah, I think a lot of it was probably driven by what had been happening you know, in the Sheffield scene, I would say, and a lot of yeah. time, like, that was definitely a spot that when I went overseas, it's like, I'm definitely going to go there. So it's just um, a lot of hard moves kind yeah, of. Yeah. And it wasn't really long stamina. Like a lot of the problems are Rapleys or where it was quite cruxy or technical. So you've probably got to be able to do a hard move, but you don't need the sort of relentless fitness that you might yeah. for some of those long, Elphinstone roots or that yep. sort of thing. So um, it was probably good. Yeah, made sense just to be sort of better for a couple of of hard moves. Um, and then often you'd be quite specific. You know, there, there might be weird shouldery 
things or, you know, an underclinging. So I'd, I'd, I'd had that sort of thing in my mind. And so I maybe do a whole lot of boulder problems that were of that style. I'm not try and build a model of the crux and just do that. Cause then if you're slightly off you end up <laughs> you're up. the model and, and not the root, but if you do a bunch of, say it's underclinging, you know, a bunch of things in, in that style or a bunch of, Gaston-y sort of shouldery things you get better at that type of climbing yeah um, but yeah not to the point of making a model of a of a crux or anything yeah and are, um, are there people that you're training with at that point in uh, Melbourne or is it a solo uh, kind of no I think various times so I, I would kind of do this in in and out thing on mate roughly a three monthly basis but I was living um and climbing and training quite a bit with Stuart Weiss. Um, yeah. yeah, we had a had a little climbing wall in the house there. And uh, yeah, there was, it was strange. And so I would go to Melbourne and do that. And then I'd be climbing, you know, out here, people like Gordy, there'd be people who were out around Natamuck at that point who I would climb with and do a bit of stuff just to keep fit. But then there wasn't, like there is in Natamuck at the moment, there's a bunch of climbers who are keen and who sort of yeah. climb and train, or there's probably a similar thing in the Blue Mountains. Or it, yeah. um, it, it, it was a more intermittent thing and I would sort of be here and climbing and then go off and train, you know, and there were people in Melbourne who were just extremely good at bouldering in gyms or climbing. And it was quite yeah. good for me to actually go in and just be useless in that scene. But... But be getting, yeah, well, you know, but yeah, there's, you know, heaps of people just way, way stronger than me on, on, you know, doing boulder problems in the gym sort of. So it was really good environment for me to get stronger. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I probably would remember how to use my feet and stuff like that. So once I got back to the crag, it would translate quite well to getting up roots and things. Yeah. So I could, I could do that I guess from the background like I had years of just you know trad climbing and and doing you know funky moves at Araplies and so I had a reasonable sense of how that stuff all worked you know I think if there was one strength it would be that I had was sort of working out funky moves and, and that kind of thing and so yeah when I went away it was okay for me it would work for me to focus on strength and stuff and then I would come back and be able to apply that to a reasonable knowledge of how to stand on my feet and things. Yeah, of course. I think for other people who are away getting strong, they would come to a Rapalese and the real weak link would be the standing on your feet or, or how to Movement spot. Movement. Sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, what was quite a useful way for me to get better might, you know, might not have been super productive for someone else who was, who was in the kind of the, the getting strong space the whole time that, what they would need to do would be to hang out at the mountain, just do a bunch of on-siding on weird seams and stuff. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Just how um, how well-rounded as a kind of person, you know, athlete or whatever we want to call ourselves, you need to be to be a good climber. Like it, it takes so many different things. And some of those things like, to be able to stand on your feet and understand how to move and that kind of stuff and read a sequence is so intangible. Mm. And it's that stuff that like it is, um, yeah, it, it's almost like this innateness that you, you've got to learn by doing a lot of it. It's not just like, I'm just going to 
pull lots of chin-ups and yeah. then I'll be sweet. Yeah. And there could be a spot where you've got your hands on the same things and your feet on the same things. But if your, your actual center of mass is 10 centimeters to the side, suddenly it all works. And yeah. you know, that's good. But yeah, to be able to get a sense of that, you're here, this feels terrible, but actually if I just move my shoulders across there, it's going to be okay. It's in, yeah. It's a different thing. Mm. It yeah. suddenly just changes how that hold works or yeah. yeah. So do you feel like when you're doing those, um, you know, you've gone and gotten yourself strong, you come back for, from your three months of training and working and you, you've locked into a project, do you just kind of jump straight on, go to town and start putting in the days? Um, yeah, pretty much. So there'd probably be a couple of weeks where I was weaning myself on. Like it still would take a bit of time to readjust back to that and learn, you know, trust in your feet again. And, um, but you could do a bit of that sort of on the project. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be hung up on like a lot of those were quite long-term things for me. So it wasn't like, I'm going to go and train. I'm just going to come back and do that on my very first day yeah. back at flag. So you go back and you might have a go on it and then be doing some other climbs around there. Or I used to always sort of, you know, have a day of, of projecting and then another day you know there's just heaps of different routes different grades you know and 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 so i'd yeah have a day on a project and then have a day of just trying to do a route i hadn't done before or a couple of routes or going to check out a new crag um so I'd, i wasn't ever you know that's all i'm doing and maybe when you get really close yeah you become like, i could be any day and i'm just going to climb and i'm going to rest but that would be sort of at the tail end of you know, the projecting thing. And then you might have a break and just go and do some easier new routes or, or, yeah. or repeat someone else's route. Um, yeah. And and then I'd sort of find myself another project, get a sense of what was required and then bail off to Melbourne for another stint of... Yeah. <laughs> Work on your Gaston's for a bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stuart, wife was talking to us about... Um, like, it, it was almost a bit taboo to be seen to be projecting things at that point in time. He said it was like a bit of a funny thing when he was trying punks that people were like, oh, you're trying that and you, you're spending time on it. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, was that- there was. I mean, I think, well, I think particularly around punks, there was a real stigma, you know, and certainly when Stuart did it, hadn't, he was the first Australian to do it. And so it was, and I remember, if, yeah, and I still know a few people that like went almost under the cover of darkness and you were curious, but didn't want to be <laughs> seen to be on it. Otherwise, I guess there's a pressure. If you beat on it, you can or can't do it. I don't know if that exists anymore. I mean, there's other routes, there's harder routes. There's a lot of routes. I guess that one was such a step up from anything that had been done. And it was. Yeah. Well, there's an aura around that route. Like it was done yeah. by the best climber in the world. It's the hardest route in the world at the time. Yeah. And it was streets ahead of anything else that was done. I mean, Lord of the Rings is, is well, I would say harder, but it was established afterwards. But, it, you know, there was something about, you know, punks and the history and all of that, that it did feel a bit almost sacrilegious, you know, and all the people that came and did it. Like I remember, you know, just being the, and they were the Jerry Moffats and the, yeah. Sean Moffat, you know, they were, you know, the the cutting edge of the climbing world were coming to do that. So it felt quite weird or, yeah, sacrilegious almost to go and get on it. It's like, I don't yeah. know these days 
whatever's the hardest route, it's probably one of yours in Australia at the moment. But yeah. um, I don't, I don't know if if people would feel weird about getting on it. There's probably not the same. I, I don't think so. Hey, like you kind of you do hear of people getting on like some of my routes and some of the other routes around and they're just like, Oh yeah, I went and got on that. And yeah. it's just like a dip in the toe in the water, have a feel. Yeah. Oh yeah, cool. I reckon I could come to that in two years time. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever. It, there's not yeah, the didn't do this move that felt okay. Didn't. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. But no, there was a real, there was a, str- and you know, there was, some people like Kim Carrigan had been projecting routes and doing hard things, but I think a lot of climbing it was still in that, and not to take away from it at all, but that that thing of ground up, you mm. know. And if it's not on site, it's at least ground up. And so, and yeah, it's a lot of people that only really climbed like that. Yeah. Because um, that was that, kind of the idea was that was the true test of a climber, wasn't it? really like yeah, that ability like, to on site or or you know just just yeah finding your way and climbers were good at that climbers were good at that style like i just remember steve monks who yeah could was on siding harder than me and what i could do on my second go was streets ahead of of what i could on site and there yeah. wasn't there wasn't much of a difference it didn't seem like you know yeah like he'd have a better go at on siding something for me it would be trivial for me to do on my second go and then steve would be not much better on his second go you know it's, yeah it's weird. Viewer who, who soloed you know pretty close to his limit or you know would clot didn't didn't you know famously didn't quite solo trojan but climbed all the way up and through the crux it wasn't all that happy with a bit at the top so he climbed down and he never <laughs> climbed heaps harder than that um but just that uh, being really comfortable in where you're at, really solid, and, and that being a a fundamental, you know, a core element of of climbing ability. Yeah, it it's really an inspiring solid. approach to have had. Yeah, it's pretty good. So I think when yes, yeah, so I don't I don't want to sort of take away from that, but that was the sort of divining. That was the mindset, and I think there was a small number of people like Kim Carrigan or Claw, probably Moorhead, who were projecting some routes that was before I started yeah. and so there was a precedent that had been set but it was a minority thing like I think yeah. more and more and more people would do that with project and are fine about projecting something at their limit yeah uh, I kind of like yeah. that idea that like each new generation in quotation marks kind of disrupts what the status quo is like I feel like if that's kind of not happening, then it, we don't get to evolve as a sport in a way. And it's kind of like each generation has a new take on how it is that we can go about what we're doing. And I don't think much of the core of those sort of, you know, on-siding is still a huge thing for yeah. people. Like it's a proper thing. And, um, you know, there's a few of those techniques like maybe yo-yoing or something that, you know, had it today and left. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I find it cool that a new generation comes through and this is their interpretation and the experience they want to have is like, what can we do if we dedicate ourselves to this for a season? 
you know, for the next yeah. couple of months? Mm. What's the hardest thing we can do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that was that was a big driver for me when I was, and it was the things that hadn't been done, and it's like, well, is it possible for me? I was not the hardest thing I could possibly do, but here's this thing that I can imagine might be doable, but you know, and yeah. maybe that's even me, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, if I dedicate myself to this for a season, like, is it possible for, for this to be done or, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a real drive. That was much more a driving. Like I did go out and did on-site things and have done a lot of, you know, the kooky routes at Arapiles and that sort of thing. Um, but I did find myself really captivated in that problem solving. Like, what is this even possible? Can it yeah. be done? And I think a lot of my, you know, my art stuff, there's, there, that's the big driving force. It's like, can this even be done? Can I actually <laughs> make the same questions? It's just a different medium. Yeah, I yeah, absolutely. Get yeah. bored if I know I could do it. So, what was, a, what was a route that kind of, or one or two routes that come to mind that gave you that the most amount of kind of grief in that? projecting uh i think um samosa on standing next to wall was one that that's a 32 yeah yeah Yeah. and it's all sort of side pulls and with the feet pointing the wrong way and that sort of thing um yeah Uh, bold problems uh yeah grip master at the kindergarten when that that, and again that's a big feature like you just yeah see that when you're driving you drive down rifle butts road from for and you can sort of see where it is and you're just sort of driving straight to it i want to do that yeah and it's just again it's just like a blunt lump of rock and it's it's sort of more about how your body sits on it but it's a great feature on perfect rock yeah um that one very much i remember um yeah doing that one uh, on my first trip to the gramps in 2012 or something like that and it's just like it's such an intricate piece of climbing it's like this kind of strange blunt overhung fridge feature um with seemingly kind of no holds at Mm. v10 it is like it was all the little um the little intricacies with how your feet are meant to do stuff and and all that was it is the most unique boulder that I'd ever done. Yeah. 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 It's pretty, it's pretty amazing thing. And it's just beautiful as a thing to look at. You could yeah. hang it on the wall in your lounge room and <laughs> a nice addition, yeah. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Lights on it. Yeah. Get rid of the moose's head and put uh, an impression yeah. of Gripmaster up there. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's been things at Arapiles as well. Um, yeah, lines just more bouldering than roots in recent times. Yep. Um, I think probably since since we had kids, it was an easier thing to manage sort of yeah. dug out doing bouldering. So that's been more what I've done. But yeah, still things that haven't hadn't been done, or I didn't know if I could do them or not. And kind of nice natural lines, sort of up along the top of the mount. There's sort of cliff lines there that were too small for roots, so I hadn't really been looked at. But they're actually, you know pretty decent that was quite that's been an exciting thing in recent times the advent of bouldering mats and things that suddenly you know stuff that's five or six meters tall you can do as a boulder problem and (laughs) not break your legs all the time yeah you've not got like a a floor mat out as your protection that's right yeah bit of old mattress from the um yeah so that's that was a bit of a revelation that that technology uh 
but again, yes, that same thing of, you know, if it's all just right and yeah, if I, you know, work all it out and then I can change my body, like, you know, there's this and this, but if I got stronger at this sort of thing or I can stretch, um, you know, as yeah. I can, you know, like this is the physical limit set by the boulder and then that's good. But what do I need to change about me in order for this puzzle to work? Like some yeah. of the stuff's about linking the holds, but then other bits is about, you know, altering yourself to be able to do it. I like that process. I, I get more satisfaction out of that long-term working towards something than just going out having a day of climb, which is great. But I think if I just did that all the time, you're missing the you're other missing sometimes. Like that. Yeah. 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 It feels like bouldering, you get more of that problem solving than mm. on a route in a way. And I'll read it. Maybe it's just my experiences, but it seems more obvious. Whereas yeah. some of the boulders that you come up against, it's just like these strange features that you've got mm -hmm. to interpret. And I think too, on a boulder, you go from that, not knowing if it's possible or not to doing it much yeah. more quickly. Like on, on yeah. some, you know, 40 meter route on Elfenstein, you're going to do all the moves a long, long time. Like as soon as you've done all the moves, pretty much, you know, it's possible. You just have to be fit enough. So yeah. imagine you do all the moves on that a long time before you finally put it all together. Whereas yeah. you might, you know, in a boulder problem, it could be a day where you say, oh, oh, my foot's over there. And then it all happens and, you know, and you do it. So you have this amazing transition between not knowing if something's possible to having done it all in the space of a session. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, when does that happen on a route? <laughs> <laughs> Never, ever, ever. Yeah. What was it like um, discovering kind of, you know, realizing the bouldering potential in the Grampians? Because you, you were one of the first, you and kind of yeah. Gordy. Yeah. Some of the that, first that to. Pretty exciting. Um, it was, and we always walk past, you know, on the way into the crags are all these boulders and stuff. And we do bouldering at Arapolis, but Boulder Problems didn't, most of them didn't have names. It wasn't really a, a thing as such. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, I'd been off and maybe come back via Waco Tanks or something like a place where bouldering was the main thing. It was like, oh, yeah, okay. And then, yeah, I don't know what it was. So we'd, sometimes we'd warm up on the boulders, but you were always going to do a to route or in. something that wasn't a real thing. Or, yeah, or wherever it was, could be, could be, down south or Cleacate, you know, yeah, you might warm up on boulders or maybe do a bit on the way. Out. And then there was a day where it's like, oh, let's just go out. We're not even going to take a rope, and we're just going to just see if we can actually do these, this or that. And I was like, oh, that's really good. And then I bet, you know, and then we're suddenly like finding all of these things and caves and, um, yeah, it was all, it was pretty exciting. I just go out to a new spot I, I, and I don't know, just, um, did you think it was as good as it people think it is now when you're no. first kind of doing it? It was exciting for us. I don't, I don't yeah. know. I, I wasn't, I wasn't ever imagining that there would be hundreds of people doing it. That just, yeah. I mean, it's obvious now, but it was inconceivable at the time. Most of the time you would go out to this and you would be the only, like whoever you went with, that would be the only people who was there. Yeah. Um, so the idea that it, you were doing these things that would become popular, it wasn't, it wasn't a concept like we're really just, a, yeah, purely self-interest or self kind of 
it's like, oh, I wonder if this is here or what's around that corner or, you know, can this be done? And it just seemed like there was loads and loads and loads of it. Um, and yeah, I, did, I don't think I really thought that it would ever exist sort of on a world, on the radar of the world like it yeah. does. You know, it wasn't until a few, like Clem Loscott, you know, and Tony Lamprecht came over and that, that probably, you know, what they did and the, the press around that probably launched it onto the world more than anything. We'd, I think Mike Myers uh, took some photos, came down from Sydney and took some photos of some stuff and, and did an article in Climb magazine at the time. And I think Clem had seen that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and that was what inspired him to come out. Yeah, well, wow. he made a little guide to some stuff, but it was pretty, pretty brown. Most of most of the stuff never got written up for you. Like, yeah, we weren't really documenting stuff. It was all kind of done. Just doing, yeah, yeah. You would just go out and say, like, "Oh, what's around?" And you'd look, find these things. And I used to arbitrary thing, but it seemed I used to try and do seven new problems each time we went. <laughs> okay, awesome. You walk up doing a few and then you'd try like even if you had a project in the area you'd, you'd, you'd be able to do a few new things just while you were warming up yeah maybe go and do the thing that you tried last time and then find another one and do it yeah and so and, and yeah be- for a long time it wasn't you i wasn't spending ages and ages on a single thing yeah because it was just heaps heaps to do everywhere so it was wasn't till a lot of that sort of was done that we started going back and there was a few things that we kept on not getting up it was like yep. right <laughs> Poor it must be a trip out to see like, you know, Clem and, and Tony at the time are two of the best boulderers in the world. And, mm. and now as it's exploded and become, you know, it, it was considered one of the best areas in the world. Mm. Like to, yeah, it, it must be a trip out to just be like, Oh wow. We just kind of were hanging out as buddies back in, you know, the mid nineties and suddenly the, the thing that you weren't even recording and it was just a, a fun day at the crag is suddenly means something to people on the other side of the world. Like people come from the other side of the world to do those couple of meters of random rock that you did as just like a little afternoon jaunt and it, it gives them fulfillment. Yeah. It's good. It's kind of strange. Like, yeah, it was never, it was never the driving uh, motivator. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was just, it was fun. It was good. I guess it makes sense if it was fun for us. It's going to yeah. be fun for people everywhere. But uh, yeah, never, never thought, Oh, it's going to be, you know, this is going to be huge. You know, this is going to put <laughs> Australia on the map. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's just, but it was, you know, it's pretty great part of the world really around here you know felt pretty lucky just being able to Mm. go out and you know access it whenever it's nice living here and you can just sort of you know do a bit of work in the morning and cruise cruise out somewhere in an afternoon yeah it's all just there yeah and it's it's a really nice community down there in the Wimmera hey people living Mm, in that area yeah yeah yeah. i mean there's a really good mix you know there's a decent percentage of the population who are climbers and there's quite a strong sort of art scene in the area i mean a lot of those are also you know climbers who've come here but 
you know, between the, you know, the Natty Fringe Festival and people sort of all pitching in. It's one thing I really like the sense around here that if someone's got a stupid idea that there's a lot of people happy to help them find make. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I'd really like to do this. It's like, okay, you know, people all pitch in and, you know, the, the, the more insane the idea, the, the more the, the more support. people you get. But that, yeah, that thing of pitching in and helping. Someone was talking the other day about that was a really great thing on farming communities when it was harvest season that all the farmers would gather up and help one farmer do a thing then they'd all go to the next one and there was this thing of the whole community being engaged yeah. making things work and I feel like I mean there's still a farming community here but I think that aspect of well that mentality sort of transfers where someone's got a thing on they're pouring a slab or they're building a chicken coop or you know trying yeah. to you know, whatever it is making a big puppet and and all these people sort of rally around and, and help and it's a small enough community that you sort of know everybody um yeah and just just that energy of of people pitching in to sort of help help make stuff happen is really great yeah it's a really awesome place to to be i think those small small groups and everyone understands each other we all understand our insanities and yeah. <laughs> and all the crazy things yeah yeah so you're talking about um the that kind of problem solving and creative process with your climbing and you're an artist can you talk to us about kind of your art like it's pretty pretty big thing what you do oh, <laughs> your art. Um, in the physical sense it's yeah there's a mix of things that i i do like whether it's projection i mean i've done some stuff with you know, aerial performance and projecting on the silos, which has been, you know, a lot of the, the rigging and the climbing skills that are in the area and combining that. Um, you know, I, and I've made some sculptures just lately. I've been doing a fair bit of public art, so building reasonably big sculptures, whether they're out of metal or concrete or, yeah, um, different things. So uh, probably a common thread has been me not being 100% sure I can do it when I set off. Like you have yeah. an idea or a vision for what it's going to be. Much like and the red pointing process. Yeah, exactly. Like if it was something that I absolutely knew what I was going to do and how I was going to do it, it wouldn't be all that exciting for me. If it was just a case, uh, you know, of sitting there and putting in the three months to get it done. It's probably like red pointing a route on Elfist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I like. I like. They like. Don't even know if it's if it's possible. You know, like this is exciting. I don't know if I can do it, but maybe I can. And if this and this happens, and I have to be a bit lucky here, and you know that that's that's a real draw for me. So a lot of the projects that I seem to kind of fabricate for myself uh, have a big dose of that in it. Yeah, I was heard saying to someone like, you know, if you work in the field of um, aeronautical engineering or, you know, surgery, people like you to be a lot more inside your comfort zone. You know, no one <laughs> wants a surgeon who, who doesn't know if they can pull it off or not. Whereas I think in the art world, that stuff's um, celebrated a bit more, that, that being willing to take a few kind of creative risks. So, yeah, it's probably why I'm an artist and not a heart surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, in the medical industry. <laughs> yeah, leave it for them. Mm. Yeah, are there um, are there like climbs um, or, or art projects that never kind of you're still perhaps maybe working on in the art thing or climbs that kind of got away? Ah, uh, there's there's certainly these climbs that got away. I mean, a few of them have been cleaned up, like the 
um, agent of cool that that Lee did. That was good to see. Yeah. And it's kind of weird too. Like it's even just knowing that it gets done is is quite satisfying. Like it didn't really matter that it wasn't me who did it. It was sort of the concept was there and. Um, you know, up in the bluffs, things like the Inquisitions and old aid loot, aid route. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, I think it's the last aid route left at the mount. I've had a few goes at freeing that. It's still sort of sitting there. Someone should come and snap that up. I think I've, yeah, it's definitely go. So there's things like that that are at the concept level. I mean, I've certainly got, yeah, looming <laughs> art projects at the moment. They don't just sit there. Most of them are sort of contracts, so they can't sit there for too long. There's a conflict <laughs> Um, I've got some ideas or some things I would like to do when I've got a moment, but right now most of my art stuff is on it. Well, it's all a bit um, up in the air with COVID at the moment, yeah. but uh, you know, most of those things you take it on and then you've got to make it within a certain time frame, and then it's done. But you have ideas that you explore and you're like, oh, that was, you know, that worked, but I think I could push that further. or I'd like to try and add this or change it or do this with it. So, you know, your ideas around what that is change over time. And again, I like to add, add an element of something I don't know. So it might be, you know, lighting or uh, kinetic sculpture or something like that. Like it's, it's, it's every, every, you know, year or so, I sort of try and bring another big dose of, of the unknown into what I have to deal yeah, with. Yeah, cool. It probably adds to the stress levels, but it keeps me amused at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, you've got to keep that kind of dog at bay, that curiosity. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think you just get a bit tired if you were just doing stuff that you knew, um, you know, you'd stop pushing yourself or stretching yourself. I think you need that's that kind of edge of, mm. I'm really going to have to change myself to, to progress to get this thing. I've committed to the idea of, doing this thing whether that's a climb or whether that's a sculpture or something i was like i'm going to commit to that and i'm going to have to grow and change as a person and do something i've never done before in order to pull that off yeah uh yeah so yeah climbing or, or art stuff it, it's it's those same ideas those are the same things i think i really like in life and keep trying to <laughs> yeah it's such a fulfilling and um scary process that when you you're breaking into that new ground yeah and like, and so much of it is to is is kind of the growth or the change that you you do you have that amazing red point you get up the roost but you know i think ultimately what you take away from it is all the the transformation that you've gone through to get yeah. to that point like um you know there's that that nice little payoff for a day or something or when you finally make the artwork or they cut the ribbon on your thing but but really, I think it's all of the, the process to, to get there that's that's more valuable. It's more rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, that is interesting. I, I reflect on that a bit. It's like when you're in that red point process, it's like, I just want to do this route. And I just if I just get that done, oh, it'll be amazing. But you do it and, yeah, it might last until you're lowered to the ground or, you know, that yeah. night when you're having a celebratory beer or something. And then it passes and you kind of just after, you know, 10 years or, you know, for yourself, even 20, 30 years of it, you kind of realize that it is all just a step to some strange unknown destination. Yeah. Yeah. Just self-fulfillment in a sense. 
yeah. I mean, if it all was just about that little happy smile, like when you when you clip the chains or when you cut the ribbon, like that is, you know, it's half an hour. It's a hell of a lot of effort for that half an hour. But I, I luckily, I think the effort bit is actually, you know, as as or more rewarding than the like the little moment of glory. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you especially appreciate that when you have those failures, mm. when it doesn't work out, you don't do the route, you don't, you know, do the competition or, or perhaps there's something in the art world that doesn't quite work, but you've sort of, you've learnt this new thing and you, you do appreciate mm. the journey. Yeah, yeah. I just think, I don't, yeah, it doesn't make me sad thinking of things that I never got up or... Yeah, artworks that I haven't finished. Like, I guess they're all still there. Yeah. Uh, I think it could be, I don't know if there's anything you've ever had, or you just like had a moment like, I'm giving up. I'm not even, <laughs> I'm walking away. Yeah, I've had or, several of them. <laughs> okay. Never yeah. to return, or did you just put it on the back burner and do something else short? Um, it's funny, hey, the, the Olympics process has been a pretty tough one. Yeah, that's like, yeah it's pretty full on because I've gone from being completely, um, you know, I'm an outdoor climber. I feel like at heart. And then you, you go into this, you have the opportunity to represent your country at the Olympics, which was, you know, a dream I had when I was eight years old or something. And you kind of like, wow, I don't want to give up that opportunity and you, you go for it. But yeah, the, the effort that goes in, for that to happen is you can't understand it unless you've been there and done it. It's, I knew it was going to be hard, but far out it is in, <laughs> intense. And there's moments you just like, I'm out, I'm done. This is too much. This, yeah. oh, just no, nah, I'm, I'm not doing it. And then you kind of just need a moment to breathe and have a chat to someone. You know, that's no, okay. I'm maybe just being a bit dramatic or whatever. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that will all translate back to climbing better outdoors? I hope so. It did. Um, all the training that I did in the lead up to our, you know, eventually postponed qualification event in March, um, I felt amazing on the rock. You know, the next day I went out climbing once they postponed it and was like, oh my gosh, this is the best I've ever felt. I'm going to do everything. And then, um, reality comes back and bites you and I didn't listen to my body and wasn't looking after myself properly and gave myself two finger injuries and it popped uh, me. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And it's interesting too. I bolted a route at Nara the other week. Um, that is probably five meters of bouldery 34 into 15 meters of, consistent pumpy 34 into what might be a v14 10 meters of v14 finish yeah and you're like well that's probably something like 38 and i might not ever be able to climb that yeah i don't know how i feel about that <laughs> i really i, I really want to be able to climb it and what if i never do so I'll, I'll get back to you on that in five or six years time and we'll see where we're at with how the journey or the um, destination feels. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. yeah. No, it's good. I mean, like, yeah, those sort of things. I don't mind. Like, there's a few things. There's a, a thing that I was the first thing I ever put some bolts in in my life at the right hand end of spurt wall or afterglow wall. Yeah. On the left hand end of that, there's this sort Dave's of sort of side pulls and things and it was my first my learning to bolt experience wrapping down and it all it was overhang on a diagonal and everything was like a slopey side pull so there was just nothing to walk well and and the, there was a petrol drill that didn't start very well like everything was hard about it so i was so traumatized i barely barely i had a couple of goes on it and sacked it off and that was before like it's it's way harder than anything i've actually done on time yeah. it was a long time before I ever did any of that stuff on Taipan. Did you I think, think it would? Did I think you think it, it would yeah. be as hard as? Oh no! I mean, it's it's steeper than it looks. That bit of wall. Like mm. I think I was basing, you know, a sense of the hold size and stuff. I, I think it'll go. Like it, there's no blank sections. It's just constantly hard. Very sustained. I think it'd be an amazing climb. I'm pretty sure Lee's fixed up the bolts on that and i don't know if he spent a bit of time on it yeah i was I, chatting with him the other day about it and he said he was um yeah had kind of done a bit of um rejigging and and looking at it and i think it he made it sound like it was all going to go yeah I, I think like it felt like each time i could sort of pull on and slap up and like touch the next hole but not yep. stand there, get on there and do the same and then get on there and it's just like and you work out something with clips and and I just put at the bottom, I got sick and I was putting in these little six mil or something kind of bolts just to, just to keep the rope in and sort of make it possible to sort out at some point or to, to be out of time. And I'd, I'd left the rope on it and just a, a beater at the top and was going up and there was kind of a bit of a sharp where the angle kicks back. I tried the last, it's got, you know, kind of just a crimpy rock overy sort of finish and tried, tried, kind of got through that move. And that was where the last bolt and the last and climbed up above that. It's like, oh, just jump. I'll just jump off. And Nick Sutter was belaying me. He's like, no, don't. I won't belay you. <laughs> and I looked down. I, I'd, I'd worn through the, the sheath on the rope. And I looked oh. out and it was just like this whole string of white. And I was sort of, you know, a couple of meters just above the limb. I was like, oh, <laughs> right. I'm going to the top. <laughs> and, so, and it's probably just like, that would have been the, the end of the route there. But yeah, so it's just a section, like maybe 22-ish or something. And I was just like, rooted at the end of the day. I was like, oh, I'm just going to jump off, come down. And then Nick's like, no. All <laughs> that soloing practice comes so in handy. Like, I'm going to just climb to the top of the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in fact, that was the last time I did that, and I don't think I got back on it. Uh. <laughs> Forever traumatized. <laughs> yeah. yeah, got another rope, and uh, <laughs> that was the end of that. Yeah, nice one. Fantastic. How good was that? I really enjoyed my chat with Dave there. Just super awesome, and there is so much more to dig into. We had a very brief chat as we were signing off about all the other things that I'd love to dig into with him. But I had to stop all of a sudden because I had to run off to school pickup. But uh, just as we were signing off, uh, I said to him, mate, we've got a chat with your wife, Jill. If anyone doesn't know Jill McLeod, oh my gosh, she is another absolute legend of Australian climbing. Also, his gritstone stuff and a whole bunch of his other climbing. And there's so much more to dig into there. But those stories will have to wait for another day. Thank you for listening in. We really appreciate it. Uh, you can go to baffledays.com.au 
and check out some of the other episodes that you may have missed. Um, if you feel like chucking on a nice warm hoodie to keep you warm this winter, we've got some Baffle Days merchandise there too. And um, don't forget the training books that we've got there, some of the Power Company Climbing, uh, the Hard Truth book, and Climb Strong Steve Bechtel's awesome training books are there too. Don't forget also, if you need some gear from Awesome Woodies, chuck in Baffle Days at the checkout and you'll get 15% off some of their fantastic hangboards, cliff boards, campus rungs, really good stuff there, made by hand in Australia. So, all good things there. And just a friendly reminder at the end again, uh, you can go to gwrn.org.au to find out the uh, reconciliation process that is happening between climbers and traditional owners. Please stay up to date with what is going on with the climbing bands in Victoria. You don't want to be that person that ended up climbing in a spot where you're not meant to be. And you can also find out some more information about the stories of the Gerawad and Wimmera area um, through the links on the gwrn.org.au website. Um, there's some really good stuff there to keep you informed with our history of that area. Hope you're all having an amazing time doing whatever it is that you're doing. Lots of love out to you all. Catch you on the next one.